Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today we are saying thank you to our Patreon subscribers with the first of a special two-part presentation. This week we will be listening to the first episode of Suspense, initially broadcast in 1940, and next week we will listen to the final episode of Suspense from 1962. The incredible 22-year history of Suspense started with an audition episode broadcast as part of CBS's Forecast series. In the summers of 1940 and 1941, this series temporarily replaced the Lux Radio Theater and offered listeners a chance to sample a variety of untested experiments and respond with their opinions. If an episode received sufficient positive response, it might become its own continuing series. The fourth episode in the 1940 run of Forecast was testing the waters for a series that would feature Alfred Hitchcock adapting his film catalog for the radio. Hitchcock had already become famous in America for his directorial work in England on such pictures as The 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes. But in the summer of 1940, he had only been in Hollywood for a year. In that time, he had directed Rebecca as well as his second Hollywood film, Foreign Correspondent. Foreign Correspondent was about to be released a few weeks after this episode of Forecast hit the airwaves. It's probably no coincidence that Herbert Marshall and Edmund Gwen, who both appeared in this radio play, also had roles in that upcoming movie. While Hitchcock was already famous in America, he was not yet recognizable, which is why his voice might seem so odd to your ears. It's because it's not Hitchcock's voice. Joseph Kearns plays the role of Alfred Hitchcock in this recording because, of course, how would anyone ever know how Alfred Hitchcock really sounds? There's even speculation that Hitchcock did not direct this production despite being credited with the title. The episode is an adaptation of Hitchcock's 1927 silent film, The Lodger, A Story of London Fog, which is in turn an adaptation of the Marie Bullock Lowndes 1911 short story, The Lodger, which she later turned into a novel in 1913. Lowndes based her story on London's famous Jack the Ripper murders. If you are familiar with this version of her story, it should come as no surprise that the ending definitely generated responses from listeners including several complaints. Despite the negative feedback, CBS took notice of one important fact. Audiences react strongly to suspenseful radio dramas. And in 1942, they debuted a show that featured exactly that, abandoning Hitchcock's involvement but keeping the name from this initial experiment, Suspense. The show would come to be known as radio's outstanding theater thrills, and it featured a vast array of Hollywood talent, including Orson Welles, Henry Fonda, Humphrey Bogart, Judy Garland, Lena Horne, Gene Kelly, Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, and the list just goes on and on. The writing performances and production elements combined to create some of the greatest shows in the history of radio. We'll talk some more about the history of the series in our next podcast, but for now, let's listen to Suspense. The Lodger, from the series Forecast, first broadcast July 22nd, 1940. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. This is Hollywood and CBS presenting forecast number four. Herbert Marshall, directed by Alfred Hitchcock in the first program of a proposed new series entitled Suspense. Tonight's forecast program, ladies and gentlemen, represents the ideal form of collaboration. Mr. Alfred Hitchcock, brilliant English director of such outstanding motion pictures as The 39 Steps, Rebecca, and Foreign Correspondent, was eager to create a very special type of radio drama, The Suspense Story. As narrator and star for his production, 
He thought at once of the distinguished actor with whom he had been associated in countless British film successes, Herbert Marshall. Mr. Marshall suggested that they dramatize a certain favorite story of his. And that story happened to be the very one Mr. Hitchcock had had in mind. Mrs. Bella Clown's classic in Chills, The Lodger. Lodger is a work of fiction which springs from recorded fact. A story which begins in the year 1888 in London. A London terrorized by the fifth in a succession of recent murders. It was believed that these deeds were the work of one person, a tall, gaunt figure in a black Inverness cape, carrying a small, narrow bag. That meager description, provided by a highly unnerved witness, was the sum total of all that was known of the murderer. It was enough, however, to keep alive and alert the interest of all London, of all those in fine quarters, and all those in small, grimy houses, as, for example, Ellen Bunting. Ellen was no different from all the other middle-aged housewives dwelling in the great city's squalid Whitechapel district. She knew all the known facts of the case. As Herbert Marshall will tell you, Ellen knew it was quite proper to refer to this wielder of the knife as... The Avenger. Of course, Ellen Bunting was far more concerned with her personal problems than with thoughts of the Avenger. Yet the case of that strange, elusive killer quite often forced all other matters from her mind. There was that mad, meaningless scheme he seemed to follow. All his victims, for example, had been women. All had been young, attractive, and, oddly enough, blonde. But Ellen could no more understand the motive for his brutal slashings than could the police. This night, she and her husband, Robert Bunting, sat before their fireplace reading the newspaper account of the latest murder. The Avenger had struck again. As Ellen expressed it, he might be anybody. He might be the fellow you pass on the street. It's a terrible thought. Yes. If only the police had something to go on. It looks like that Avenger's just too quick for him. Look, it says here that this girl he got last night was like all the others. Hmm. Pretty, blonde, and, uh, let's see, described by her friends as a very light-hearted girl. What a pity. Did you ever stop to think who fits that to a T? In fact, fits all those girls? Why? By my own Daisy. Oh, that's a horrible thought. Well, maybe it's a good thing she's with her aunt, then, instead of here. Hmm. London ain't a safe place for any girl right now. Ah, just the same. I can't help thinking how fine it'll be to have her back in. Now, Bunting, you know that Daisy seems just as much my own daughter as she is yours. Hmm. But I'm telling you, there's no sense even thinking about having her back right now. We just can't afford it. Oh, I know that, Ellen. Only, well, well, maybe we could manage it some way. How? Haven't I scrimped myself half crazy trying to keep us going? But you don't care about that, do you? No, your daisy's more important to you than I am. No, 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 Ellen, Ellen, that don't sound like you. Oh, I you, can't but... help if it don't. What are we going to do? Tell me that. We'll get along, dear. Something will turn up. Oh, and... we haven't had a lodger for months. Nobody even comes to look at the room anymore. Yes, but things will work out, Ellen. Oh, they... they ain't never going to work out. Soon we won't even have a roof over our heads and... Oh? Oh, I'm sorry, Robbie, I... I didn't mean to take on so. Oh, I know, dear, I know. It's all right. Oh, I, I didn't think it. It's just that I, I've been so worried. Well, don't you go worrying another second, old girl. Why, first thing you know, you won't be pretty anymore. You'll have your face all wrinkled. Now, I'll see Now, here, come on, now, let's see a smile. Come on, just have one oh, smile. Oh, leave me Just alone. one I smile like you used to, eh? Oh, Who do you suppose that could be? Awful late for visitors, I... Bunting... Do you think it could be somebody looking for rooms? Well, it might be. Want me to go to the door? No, I'll go. Oh. You just stay here. Yes, all right. Now, be sure you get a good look at the reason before you let them in, dear. Oh, I'm coming. Oh, I do hope it's... <clears throat> yes, sir? Is it not true that you let lodgings? Yes, sir. Uh, uh, won't you come in, sir? Thank you, uh, could I, uh, could I take your cape, sir? There's no need. Now, I, um, 
I'm looking for a quiet room. It must be quiet. Oh, we have that, sir. Above all, our, our house is quiet. Uh, your bag, sir. May I take it? No, I'll hold it. You'll be so good as to show me the room, please. Oh, yes, yes, sir. It's right up these stairs, sir. Uh, this way. Thank you. Uh, you see, sir, uh, there's just my husband and me here, and we're ever so quiet, and and I'm sure you'll find this room to your liking, sir. Here we are. Now I'll, I'll just light the gas. There. Mm-hmm. Very good. It is pleasant, isn't it, sir? And, and there's not many rooms with such pretty pictures. Are there now? We've had them in the family for years, sir, and... Pictures interest me very little. You see, what really impresses me about the room is the very simplicity of it, the, um, the bareness. Uh, yes, sir. It's not at all crowded, is it? It will be quite suitable, Mrs. Um, uh, Bunting. Mrs. Bunting. You see, I do a great deal of studying in my book here, the Holy Bible. Uh, yes, sir. Um, please, sir, uh, let me help with your luggage. No, don't touch it. Oh, but I, I only wish to... Oh, you only wish to help, of course. You must forgive me, Mrs. Uh, Bunting. It's just that I... I'm so very weary. Of course, sir. He bringeth them to their desired haven. Beautiful words, Mrs. Bunting. Indeed they are, sir. And now at last I have found my haven of rest. Yes, sir. Then then you'll be taking the room. Let us see now. Uh, what are you going to charge me? With attendance, mind. I shall be staying in most of the time and I shall be wanting meals. Oh, we can see to that, Then sir. does... Um, Thirty shillings a week suit you? Thirty? Uh, why, why, yes, sir. Yes, sir, that will be quite all right. Good, and I shall pay you in advance. My name is Sleuth, Mrs. Bunting. Mr. Sleuth? S-L-E-U-T-H. Think of a hound, Mrs. Bunting, and you'll never forget my name. Twenty-three, four, thirty, thirty shillings. Thank you, sir. And I think I should enjoy a little light supper now, Mrs. Bunting. Bread and butter, perhaps. Could you arrange that? Oh, certainly, sir. I- I'll do that now. And uh, if you'd be requiring any beer or spirits... Certainly or... not. Oh, sir. What What did I say? I thought you understood me, Mrs. Bunting, and I had hoped that you and your husband were abstainers. But we are, sir. We don't keep nothing about. I would have had to go out and... Of course, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Bunting. I fear I spoke sharply. I don't wish you to think me rude. After all, you... You've been so kind... Consider it. I hope I know a gentleman when I see one. Thank you, thank you very much. Now I'll just hurry with your supper. The room? Oh, don't bother me now. I have to get him some supper. What do you mean? Come to the kitchen where he won't hear us. He took it, Ellen? Yes, he took the room? Yes. We're all right now. Look. Thirty shillings. A week in advance. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. And Ellen, do you see what this means? Yes, you can have Daisy now. Yes. Uh, here, Bunting. Warm that teapot and put some tea leaves. Right, oh, right. Oh. Yeah, do you know something, old girl? We're not going to worry too much about Daisy being in danger of that Avenger fella. Whatever do you mean, Robbie? Well, she's not a girl who takes a drink, you know. Oh, and what's that to do with it, please? Oh, something I read in the paper while he was upstairs with the gentleman. They just found out that every one of the Avenger's victims had been drinking. They figured he must be some kind of a rabid abstainer. What a peculiar chap. Now hurry, Bunting, please. Yes. Two thoughts. Two thoughts only governed Ellen's mind. The lodger's light supper and her own good fortune at having such a lodger. Mr. Sleuth was an eccentric sort, but then he was such a gentleman, so quiet, so very religiously inclined. She started up a staircase to Mr. Sleuth's room, her husband at her side. Won't we know how to be safe, though, once Grace is back in London, eh? We'll see she stays closer than the earth, hmm? Well, I'll be downstairs. Hurry up for the supper, old girl. She has cast down many wounded from her. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Come in. And to know the wickedness of folly. Why, Mr. S- yes? What is it? Those pictures. Those pretty girls. You've turned all their faces to the wall. And that maneuver, that strange action, was the beginning of Ellen's concern. Soon there came to her a recollection of the black Inverness cape, the small narrow bag, the urgent matter of alcoholic drink. 
And these details began to shape themselves into a pattern which grew more disturbing with each passing hour. The day following, the lodger did not leave the upstairs room once, nor did he leave the next day. And the oddness of this took its place in the pattern. Then, too, the approaching arrival of Daisy, her stepdaughter, added to her concern. On the second night, her sleep was restless with vague, horrifying images. And so, when she heard the first stealthy footsteps outside her bedroom, she was instantly awake. Tensely, she followed those steps downstairs, down the hallway. She heard the front door open and then click shut. Utter stillness fell upon the house. And outside the streets were so silent she could hear distinctly the clock from a church tower a mile away told the hour. In her troubled frenzy, she pictured a lone figure plodding through the deep fog, moving quietly, stealthily, stalking, searching, finding... Soon after she heard the lodger return, she sought to quiet the horrible dread which had possessed her. She assured herself that Daisy's arrival that day was no cause for alarm. Now she reasoned, how could there be anything really evil about so religious a gentleman as Mr. Sleuth? But for her there was no more sleep, merely a tormented state of half-consciousness, a state which suddenly dropped from her shortly after daybreak. Horrible murder. That was the piercing scream of a newsboy far down the street. The Evan Bunting heard the boy cry out the Avengers' latest stroke, made during the night. first glimpse that morning of the grey-faced lodger brought the steepest night's warm terror full to the surface. But on the next instant, she saw the pitiable, helpless weariness in his eyes, and curiously the terror began to pass. She found that she was hoping desperately that her fears were unfounded. Earlier, she had determined to tell Bunting of the awful convictions in her mind. Now, however, she felt she must be certain, certain before she spoke to a soul. She knew there was one thing she must examine. That was the lodger's single piece of luggage. She'd thought of it often. What could it hold? Not much in the way of clothing, surely. It was too small, too too narrow. It was more like a case. A case for a knife. It was along toward noon that Evan found her opportunity to search the lodger's room. Soon after Bunting left to meet Daisy, Mr. Sleuth himself walked from the house... Ellen watched the tall, thin figure in the black invalid's cape disappear down the street, and then she rushed upstairs into the room. Quickly, she moved to the closet. It was no different from what it had always been, utterly empty. She found nothing under the bed. She went then to the chest of drawers against the wall. She opened the top drawer and found inside nothing but a frayed shirt, two handkerchiefs. The next drawer, under clothes, socks. The next empty. There remained then only one possible place for the small, narrow bag. The bottom drawer, and it was locked. Tugging at the drawer, she heard suddenly the opening of the front door downstairs. Panic stricken, she rushed out of the room and down the hall to the head of the stairs. Upstairs, Ellen. Ellen, Daisy's here. Oh, Mother Ellen, it's so good to see you. And well, whatever's the matter? Yes, you've gone quite white. Oh, well, I, I'm all right. I, I wasn't expecting you so soon. Oh, you don't know how fine it is to be back, Mother Ellen. Oh, the country's all right in its way, but there's nothing like London now, is there? No, no, there isn't. But as long as that adventure's about, I can see we're going to have to do something about these blonde locks, eh, Ellen? Oh, don't worry about that. I'll dye them, maybe, or, or just pin them under my hat. <laughs> <laughs> Daisy, I, I might as well get you settled. Oh, now, Father, isn't that just like her? She's straight to the point, and no point. Well, I'll bet a sixpence you'll have a dust cloth in your hand before you've got your coat off. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sleuth. 
Mrs. Bunting, I see my door is open. Oh, we we were just leaving, shall we? Does this mean that all of you have been in my room? Oh, not at all, sir. I... What must I do? Keep it locked? But you see, sir, I was just tidying up a bit, and, and Mr. Bunting, he's brought his daughter up, sir. She, she just arrived. This is Daisy, sir. Pleased to meet you, sir. Uh, she, she, she's been away for quite a long while, you see, Mr. Sleuth, and that, 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 that's why we're a bit excited, you might say. Yes, you must have been surprised when you came in, hearing us laughing and carrying on that way. Yes, yes, I must say I was. However, Miss uh, Daisy, there are all types of joy, are there not? Yes, I'm sure there are. The despicable evil joy of the abandoned and the divine happiness of the blessed. A vast difference, that. You do understand me, don't you? Why, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Sleuth. I devoutly hope so, Miss Daisy. Nowadays, there are so very few young women like yourself who do. In fact, I, I all but despaired ever of finding one. If, if you'll excuse us now, sir, we'll, we'll be getting Daisy's things put away. Of course, Mrs. Bunting, and I must be getting to my room. Believe me, Miss Daisy, it's been a revelation to meet you. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm sure we shall have much to discuss. He's a queer one, all right. But such a gentleman, isn't he? At that moment, Ellen had been determined to pour out her terrible knowledge, and then the moment passed by. She told herself that perhaps the past few days had been nothing more than a grim illusion, a tormenting play of imagination. She would wait then until she had attended the coroner's inquest into the last Avenger murder. There, perhaps, she could hear evidence to disprove all her fears, to assure her there was no earthly harm in Daisy being so near the lodger. This was her gravest concern now, for on the next day, Mr. Sleuth made it a point to see the girl more than once, and fearfully, Ellen saw that Daisy welcomed his visits. As Ellen was preparing to step out to the inquest, she heard once more the voices of her stepdaughter and the lodger coming to her through the kitchen door. She hesitated before entering. <laughs> Hence. Strangely apprehensive. I do believe, Mrs. Lewis, I've never known a gentleman with such funny ideas. <laughs> oh, Mother Ellen, you should hear what Mr. Sleuth was just saying. Perhaps, Daisy, you would excuse yourself. And... <laughs> he thinks people, and especially girls, should spend all their time praying. I sought to explain, Mrs. Bunting, that all women are placed on this earth filled with evil. They therefore must struggle constantly to find the paths of righteousness. Why, Mr. Sleuth? You mean a girl's not to enjoy life at all? Not to have fun? Frivolity, my child, is the devil's breeding ground. And all his implements are there. Temptation, pleasure, wine. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, there's nothing I like better than a glass of wine. And I'm not... You drink. She didn't know what she was saying, Mrs. Sue. Just a child. And Daisy, you'd better go now. But I didn't say nothing wrong. What's the harm in a glass of wine? She lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. Oh, I don't know what you mean. I never heard such nonsense. You call Holy Scripture nonsense? So what I prayed against is true. You are beyond salvation. That's not so. I'm a good girl, I am, and I won't have you saying that. Daddy, go into the front room. Quite all right, Mrs. Bunting. I must be going upstairs anyway. I'm used to being misunderstood, you know. People never realize that my efforts are simply for the greater good of humanity. Of course, sir. And that the power on high will direct my hand toward the expulsion of all evil. Daisy, does he listen to me? Yes. I've got to tell you about... About... About what, Mother Ellen? Nothing. I've got to go out for a while now. I'll be back. to reveal the secret horror had come again and passed. Erin's sudden recollection of Mr. Sleuth as he stood in the doorway had overwhelmed her. She must give him this last chance, this last frantic search for this proving evidence, this trip to the inquest. If that chance should fail, then she would tell Bunting or the police. So with the knowledge that Bunting was left in the house to look after Daisy, she boarded the underground train bound for the coroner's court. But as the train pulled away from the station... A new torture came to her, began to mount in her mind. It was the sudden realization that provided Sleuth was the murderer, she was equally responsible for his crimes. 
she had been giving him protection. If anything should happen to Daisy, she would be equally guilty. Fully as guilty as the Avenger. seated at the rear of the small but crowded inquest room, listened to each of the witnesses as they were called. And from one of them, she found the first hope she had known for many days. This witness lived next to the alley in which the Avenger had committed his crime that night. She had seen him from her window, and the man she described in no way resembled Evans' lodger. But in another moment, Evans' hope was swept away. It was pointed out that the fog had been so heavy that night that the witness could not possibly have seen the murderer from her window. She left the stand, replaced by a Mr. Cannot. This elderly gentleman was certain that he had not only seen, but talked with the Avenger. He was in Regent's Park, he testified, only a few moments before... A few moments before the murder, Mr. Coroner, when I saw him, he was quite a tall man, very gaunt-looking, and carrying a handbag. A handbag, you say? Yes, a small, narrow one. Just such a bag, I might add, as might contain a knife. Again, and heard these words, the tension which had been mounting up within her became almost unbearable. Rigid with horror, she gripped the arms of her chair. She heard the coroner. I shall have to ask for more order in the court. And now, Mr. Cannon, I understand you heard this man speak. Oh, yes. He had a rather high, hesitating voice. An educated man, I would judge, but quite mad. What do you mean by that? Well, as he emerged from the fog, he was talking aloud to himself. Believe me, sir... He was reciting scriptures from the Bible. Scriptures from the Bible. Horrified, Ellen rose from her seat, only half hearing the confusion about her. Are you asking us to believe? I would say, Mr. Cannot, that the man we are looking for would be least of all a religious man. And that's where you're in error, Mr. Coronet. The religious note is the very key to the case. Very interesting. That'll be all, Mr. Cannon. Uh, just a moment, sir. Don't you understand? The man you're after must be a religious maniac. That's the only explanation possible. You will please stand down. The court was dismissing the very truth. Ellen knew that now. She would no longer keep silent. Her hand shot forth and she screamed. I, I want to say... Helen Bunting, on the verge of speaking, had fainted. And then, when she was revived a few moments later, she said nothing. Her brain was in too great a turmoil, her nerves too shocked. Like one in a dream, she allowed herself to be led from the courtroom. The voices of spectators were only vague sounds to her. I thought she was going to say something. Yes, it was hysterics. Eh? Yeah, that bit about the knife. Yeah, the, the knife. The knife. The knife. The knife. As Ellen Bunting proceeded home with the remarks from the spectators remained in her mind, she heard them over and over. We'll see she stays closer than the house, eh? No harm in being safe. Direct my hand toward the expulsion of all evil. Expulsion of all evil. As Ellen neared her neighborhood, her dread increased. With each moving footstep, the grip of terror grew tighter, tighter about her. She moved faster, faster. Before she were in time, she was two streets away from the house. Then one, then... Then she saw Bunty. Sharply, like the thrust of a knife, she realized what this meant. Daisy was left alone with the lodger. Ellen, what is it? Oh, Bunting, tell me, Bunting. Where's Daisy? Where is she? I say, where? Where at home? Oh, listen to me. Try to understand. Sleuth is the Avenger. What are you saying? Oh, Lodger. He's the Avenger, Bunting. Oh, but there's no time for that. Daisy's in danger. Hurry. Hurry. Yes. Daisy. Daisy. You 
Tracy! Oh. By the bedroom. Jesus, she's not here. What about the dining room? Oh, look, she's not there. She's not downstairs. Then there's just his room. Go on. Open the door. What's the idea here? Have a few more lines to do. As Mr. Marshall, the narrator, you have. Not as Mr. Sleuth, the lodger. Hitch, you can't stop the play right here. It isn't fair, you know. Why isn't it, Bart? What more is there to say? Mr. Hitchcock, won't people want to know what Gunting and me found in the room? All right, Ellen. What precisely did you find? Well, uh, nothing, sir. There. You see? Nothing. No lodger, no Bible. And that locked dresser drawer. What about that? We unlocked it, sir. And what was in it? Nothing, sir. You are certain, Mrs. Bunting? Oh, oh, you gave me quite a turn, Mr. Slew. I mean, Mr. Marshall. Uh, yes, sir, I'm sure, sir. There was nothing. Well, begging your pardon, Mr. Richcock, but don't you think we'd better just mention about Daisy? I don't know, Bunting. What do you think we ought to say? Oh, just that the reason she wasn't in the house when Ellen and me got there was... Well, she'd gone out for a walk, that's all. Did she enjoy it? Oh, very much, sir. Made it to King's Cross and back in just under an hour, sir. Splendid time, Bunting. Well, there you are, Bob. There's the story. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Hitchcock. You can't do that. That's not the story. Of course it's not. Now, look here, Hitch. Here's the fellow who composed and conducted all our music, Wilbur Hatch. He wants to know about this, too. Everybody does. All right, Bob. What is it they want to know? What became of Mr. Sleuth? Oh, him. Why, he left that afternoon. They never saw him again. And now I think we ought to say something about the Columbia forecast. Mr. Hitchcock, sir, will you please... Stop him, uh, Mr. Marshall. Hitch, listen to me. Yes? What is it? They want to know when the Avenger finally was caught. Oh, well, let me ask you something, Bart. Are you acquainted with Loretta Young? Yes, what's that got to do with it? Well, in next week's Columbia preview series, Miss Young will take the starring role in the drama of an American Red Cross nurse. That's good news, isn't it? Oh, that's great. But now listen, Hitch... You've just got to tell that audience exactly when and how Mr. Sleuth was caught. Caught? Why on earth should he be caught? Why? Well, he was the Avenger, wasn't he? Was he? Your guess, gentle listener, is as good as ours. Even Mrs. Bellock Lowndes, who wrote the novel, isn't entirely sure... For his masterful direction, our thanks to Alfred Hitchcock, whose latest pictures are David O. Selznick's Rebecca and Walter Wanger's Foreign Correspondent. For his superb characterization of Mr. Sleuth, our thanks to Herbert Marshall. And our thanks to the outstanding British character actor who tonight portrayed the role of Bunting, Edmund Gwen. If you liked tonight's program and want to hear more in the same highly original Hitchcock vein, radio versions of The Lady Vanishes and The 39 Steps, for example, write to CBS and tell us so. Your interest will help bring suspense to the air as a weekly feature. Forecast next week presents from Hollywood, Loretta Young in Angel, first of a proposed series based on the adventures and the romance of a typical Red Cross nurse. From New York... A new sort of comedy show, Ed Gardner as Archie in Duffy's Tavern, with Gertrude Neeson, Colonel Stoopnagel, Larry Adler, and John Kirby's orchestra. Don't miss forecast at this hour next week. Thomas Friedenzel speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Lodger, 
from Suspense and the series Forecast, first broadcast back in 1940, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That's a Patreon goal reward, yes, of some sort. Yeah, we just thought it would be a fun idea to see both extreme ends of suspense. Yeah, and boy, we'll get into next week's next week, of course, but boy, they are extreme Mm -hmm. beginnings and endings. Uh, I just assumed Alfred Hitchcock had just not become that character, uh, like how he talks, until later in his life, until I read our opening here and found out that that was just a guy playing that was him. Joseph Kearns. Joseph Kearns. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was totally in that same boat until I was. Well, I have to write an intro for this. What? <laughs> okay, so yeah, it, to me, I didn't go. Oh, wow, that's so weird. That doesn't sound like Hitchcock. I just went. Well, he was younger. Uh, I did the same thing. I went, that doesn't sound like Hitchcock, but I guess it's 1940, and I'm just associating him with his his TV show, which is 10 or 15 years later, and maybe 50 to 70 pounds later as well. Exactly. And then the other thing that happens, once you end up with a very distinct voice, I think that you kind of exaggerate your own very Mm -hmm. distinct voice. Uh, See Peter Lorre, see Vincent Price, you know, I I think... Tim. Tim. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) That guy that that makes that voice, whatever that guy is. That's from the Jack Benny show. Oh, that's right. I felt doubly bad for missing that because at that intro where they're talking about uh, Herbert Marshall, that they had both independently come up with the same idea of what somebody like, I don't believe that anecdote. I think it's just made up nonsense for the radio. Mm-hmm. I'm so smart. And then didn't get that we don't need the real Alfred Hitchcock here. Let's just get somebody that's like, I'm Alfred Hitchcock, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right, because he's not a deal yet. I- I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. I just want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. I love his work, uh, including 39 Steps and including the play adaptation, uh, the-, the parody of it, which I think is also brilliant. And so uh, I just want to make sure, because we've been around and around about stuff I hate for the last few weeks, I want to make sure that people understand there are things I like. <laughs> I, I like also it. like Alfred Hitchcock's films, for the most part. North by Northwest, your favorite? It's one of my favorites, Good. yes. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Hey, guys, I think Eric and I just made up for last week's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Right, because I went out and bought a Weird Al Yankovic album. And we're good. Alfred Hitchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think he's awesome. If we ever come around maybe to seeing eye to eye on Act Two of War of the Worlds, that's next on our <laughs> Never going to happen. Never going to happen. So let's jump to the elephant in the room. It was also addressed in our opening and what the big deal with this discussion-wise is, is that a lot of people got really mad. Uh, at the ending of this, and it's I would have been as mad. That's a terrible. Well, there's ending. a difference between an ambiguous ending and no ending at all. Here's my note. Can I just read word mm-hmm. for word what I wrote at the end of this? Lazy, 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 lazy. Back up and call the entire thing a lazy slapdash product, and I'm amazed suspense ever got made. (laughs) I just think that's the final nail in the lazy coffin. The best part of this, though, was the guest appearance. Did you hear the celebrity? The Bromo Seltzer uh, uh, train made an appearance. It's so distressing. It's so cute. That made me think, like, okay, if Alfred Hitchcock didn't direct this, which uh, there was an article by... Martin Grahams Jr., who was posited, like, I don't know that Alfred Hitchcock really directed that. He's a big, respected, old-time radio researcher, yeah. so I think if you're going to believe something on the internet, that's on the safer end. <laughs> yes. That made me think, like, if it wasn't him, this is totally Arch Ober. Arch Ober would totally do all this. God, it is. All the repetitions and the voices in your head. And... But it's not done as well as Arch Ober, honestly. I think that's throwing Obler under the Broma Seltzer train. <laughs> <laughs> Because Obler would string that all the way through. Set aside the creepy fact that it is just the Broma Seltzer commercial voice. Yeah. It comes 20 minutes in. They have done nothing to establish that as a mode of storytelling. And it's that she's a, hearing voices in her head or anything. Yeah, or that yeah. there's a chorus that repeats things. It's just jarring on so many levels. Yeah, the premise of this is that... There's a guy living in your house, and all signs very soon, very quickly, and repetitively are pointing that this is the Avenger murderer, right? Mm -hmm. And you're waiting for it to turn somehow. That's what 
that kind of writing is. It's a setup. It is an absolute setup. You can't just say, and, and in this case, they didn't say if it was or wasn't him, but there's nothing here. They build to the moment you're waiting for and then literally say cut. Right. I'm glad it didn't end with, and it was that guy. That would have made me angry too, because then it was just a half an hour of, well, we knew that. <laughs> you're, it's weird. You're right. I, everything you're saying is true and I agree with it, but it's why I liked it so much. <laughs> Here we go. I can't wait. So you appreciated the ending? Yeah. Okay. So, because it's it's certainly the ending I saw coming. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. That is not how I would have predicted this thing ends. It is the most interesting thing about it. Yes. Even though it's an absolute failure in my opinion. Because it's, it's confusing even for what it is. Because not only do they break the fourth wall, but then half the actors go back and readopt their characters and others aren't and i know it's supposed to be a joke but finally the conductor comes out and says like no seriously this is a piece of crap ending (laughs) what's going on and there's this last little telltale moment where you hear the studio audience and they have this terse short laugh that as a stage performer i recognize as an uncomfortable (laughs) we don't know what's going on (laughs) laugh that comes that trickles in right as it ends and i'm sure that's all things to oh that's still yeah it's like right (laughs) and ladies and gentlemen that response by tim is exactly why we all love him so much that don't put me in charge of anything But that does encapsulate you. That is what is so endearing and remarkable and wonderful about you, that you looked at this and went, well, that was phenomenal. (laughs) And now you're putting words in his mouth. I don't think he used the phenomenal word. No, but he did really enjoy the fact that, well, I certainly didn't see it coming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he enjoyed that. And that optimism of life is like... I'm the crabby guy, and Tim is the it's going to be okay guy. Yeah, well, like it's that roller coaster moment of, I don't know, we're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. True. Now, see, I do usually like something ambitious that tries for something different, even if it doesn't quite succeed. But here, it didn't feel like they were trying for something. The entire thing felt like a new Star Wars film where all the ulterior marketing motivations were all just glaringly obvious that this is an adaptation of an old Alfred Hitchcock film made to hopefully plug his newest Alfred Hitchcock (laughs) film. And here it has the same stars, even down to the point where when we introduce the narrator, he's not a character. They introduce the narrator as Herbert Marshall. (laughs) They should say star of the upcoming film. And so like the whole thing just annoyed me from the beginning. So by the time they got there, it was just sort of like, thank you. Now I can really hate this. <laughs> <laughs> now the gloves can come off. It is astounding that from this sprang possibly, arguably, the greatest radio series ever. I love suspense so much. And to know that it started here gives and me hope for a lot of stuff I've written. Only <laughs> connection might be the name. Yeah, there's no other I can see a couple other things. I can see the synergy between incidental music and scene that is so strong in suspense. Uh, The sort of celebrity cast feature, yeah. yeah. Yep, and the heavy reliance on narration, but I think here they get it all wrong. This should have been narrated in the first person by Mrs. Bunter. Yeah. It would have been twice the episode because we would have actually... Felt for her. Every time we're about to get into Mrs. Bunting's yeah. emotional world, in comes Herbert Marshall to tell you how she feels. Mm. And it mm. does not work for me at all. And the suspense no. is going to figure that out. I mean, it, in the future, it relies heavily on narration, but it's always first person. There was just so many ways this could have gone that would have been interesting. And I don't mean just having an ending. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many things they just didn't explore. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, Eric, where you said they want the ending to be ambiguous, yet they overdo how obvious mm-hmm. Mr. Sleuth is at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I thought this was such a train wreck, a Broma Seltzer train wreck, <laughs> <laughs> I did go back and read, not the novel, God help yeah. me, but the original short story. Yeah. And the way Sleuth is portrayed in there has a lot more ambiguity. He's not just hitting people over the head with how creepy he is. For example, the Bible verses in the short story are only heard when he's in his room alone 
and he's reading them out loud. Right. He's not proselytizing to people the way he is in right. here. That's and right. there is an ambiguity to the ending of her story, but it actually has a satisfying conclusion. Which is, please, for the love of God, tell me how it ends in this. <laughs> Did you read it? Uh, I skipped to the end. <laughs> good man. Good man. And? There's a head-to-head confrontation between Mrs. Bunting and him. Someone banishes him. Oh, here. You need to work on your, on your skimming skills. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take up too much time, but they end up at Madame Trousseau's yes, wax that's chamber factory. Of he invites Daisy, uh, Mr. Sleuth, mm-hmm. and Mrs. Bunting to go there. As they are about to go into the Chamber of Horrors, the police chief uh, with a visiting uh, French policeman come out, and they are talking <laughs> about the, I know, exactly. They're talking about the Chamber of Horrors, and they're talking about um, a recently escaped lunatic and his murders. And in that moment, Sleuth turns on Ellen and says, you betrayed me. You turned me in. So what's fascinating about it is that moment where he huh. is convinced that she knew and was protecting him. And he's angry, and he thought he'd been set up to get uh, nabbed and makes a run for it. And, so he's, and they never answer, but it's, it's clearly implied that he is, or he's at least the escaped madman, whether or not he was the man murdering uh, the prostitutes was not definitively said. So we still don't have an answer. Is that <laughs> what you're telling me? But to me? me, that's how you do an ambiguous ending that still has some satisfaction, but sure. there's an ending. Tim, um, Tim. Tell me an ending. Just make one up. <laughs> Just give me an ending to this thing. Well, if I wanted to be true to the radio production, I would s- maybe stall a little bit and then plug next week's show. <laughs> or just <laughs> unplug the recording <laughs> right now. All right, I'm going to write it. Here's how it ends. He was the Avenger. There's a lightsaber battle. There was a lightsaber <laughs> battle. The end. <laughs> it would be more satisfying. A uh, little side note, I was fascinated to... Think of the story in terms of this initial short story was written like 25 years after mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper. So oh, right. when this was written, it was in living memory. Yeah. Arguably in 1940, when this was aired, there could have been someone in their 70s or 80s who, who remembered these original mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper stories. I do think there's a lot of interesting elements to her original short story, uh, one of which is as I understand it, this was one of the first stories to leap on the lodger theory. This theory that it was a man who was staying in Whitechapel somewhere while he was doing these murders instead of coming completely from a different area of town. And now it's a common version of the Jack the Ripper story of where he was staying and Mm -hmm. and people bumping into him as he's hiding out. And more pertinent is that it's a story that is told from the point of view of working class protagonists with a woman playing the role of a surrogate detective. Usually it's a police detective or a reporter who's coming to solve the case. And it's interesting that the people actually affected by it, women and the poor of Whitechapel, are the protagonists of the story. Um, So there's something really compelling in there. And I think it's lost in the gobbledygook of this adaptation. When they open the door, they find Daisy has killed the lodger and she's the murderer. And she's wearing his face. And she's wearing his face. (laughs) Take there. that suspense. Yeah, there. Now Joseph I. Joseph Kern's cock. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that on a podcast. Again, it's his name. It's combining the two names. Uh, I so get portmanteau. It. It's innocent. <laughs> Charming, even. <laughs> not to a bunch of. Kearns, is that bad? Not to a bunch You're of right. uh, 12 year old brains. It's not. <laughs> All right. I want to vote. You guys good with that, or do you want to rip it some more? Or defend it some more, Tim. <laughs> yeah, Tim. That sounded like more of a challenge than I meant it. <laughs> I've already explained it. I'm just, what is happening here? And you enjoy that. That's that's a moment of joy for me. So what's your vote? This is a classic. <laughs> um, well, because of historical value? It's hard not to give it that for just that reason alone. Of Right. This is the little acorn from which suspense grew. It is amazing to me that the incredible talent of Alfred Hitchcock, who at this point had so much experience and was just an auteur and a genius, didn't put any of that into the story. (laughs) I don't know that he was really involved in this at all. I I would believe that, yeah. So that might be part of why he did not get a series of adaptations based on his films. 
But if this weren't the first episode of suspense, this would struggle to stand the test of time. Yeah. It's got one twist to it that you either, I'm probably the rare exception to enjoy it. You either Mm -hmm. appreciate it or not. Yeah, in some ways, that meta fourth wall down type of stuff is more modern and probably stands the test of time better now than it did in 1940. Uh, It was probably more angering in 1940 than it is today. I think we're more prepared for that as consumers of entertainment than they were then. I still think it's really only of historical interest because of suspense. And like I said, my problems started long before the bad ending. So I just think it's rickety and lazy. And, you know, again, might be being really hard on it because it's the first episode of suspense. No, you're not. I give it all the leeway I could possibly give it, and it's it's lazy and terrible. But it is of historical significance, and so mm-hmm. it's nice to hear it. It was fun to hear you know, how it all began, and actually uh, mind-boggling and uh, perplexing as to how that turned into that. That's crazy. I would have marched into that studio and said, get out of here, with a cigar <laughs> and <been> chomping. <laughs> like, uh, sir. <laughs> You're all fired. There'll be no suspense show. That would have been me. And get me pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghostdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. It's a great place to leave notes for us, leave messages, comment on episodes, send us uh, uh, whatever you think, link to our social media pages, say something there. Just talk. Type things. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Are you on my side on this? Were you delighted by the weirdness? Or are you on the other side of that was garbage? (laughs) I'd like to know. And if you have requests for episodes you'd like us to listen to, that's a great way to let us know. Yes, you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Uh, We have a new members-only podcast called Cliffhangers of Doom, focusing on... You guessed it, cliffhangers, uh, the kind of long serials that we can't really work into the format of the mysterious old radio listening society. So if that sounds fun, uh, become a member of Patreon and you can listen to it. You can also go to iTunes and uh, write a review. It doesn't even have to have an ending. (laughs) (laughs) Zing. (laughs) Four stars. I thought it was... (laughs) Also, (laughs) if you want to see us uh, perform live, we do live recreations of old-time radio shows as a theatrical group. And you can find out where we're performing. And sometimes we do original work as well. And that is at MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com. That's a one-stop shop for everything. Links to those things. And right now, if you're listening in uh, 2020, early 2020, we are at Park Square Theater through May. All right, what is coming up next? Next is our second part of the Suspense two-parter, and we will be listening to the very last episode of Suspense from 1962, Devilstone. Until then... Look out! There you are, Buck. There's the story. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Hedgecock. You can't do that. Go, 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 go.